celebrate the ball, baby. Let's go. This is Inside the Pac-12 Podcast. Put on a pair of your headphones and fall back. Listen to some ball catches, having a ball chat. About the best conference in the nation, all facts. This is truly for the hoop lovers. Yeah, who running and gunning and getting buckets? How about we discuss it? The Trojans, Huskies, Ducks, the Cardinals, then the Cougars. Bears, Beavers, Sun Devils, Cats, and Bruins. The Buffaloes and Utes, I won't ever forget. Got insight, opinions, and plenty of special guests. Coaches and players, beat writers and insiders. Uh-huh. Old and young, Pac-12 legends and alums yeah. In depth analysis, we go far beyond the scores uh-huh. We take you from conference play all the way to the final four With some hoop kind of sores just walking you through the game Now here's your host, Mike Gam and the boy Don McClain Hey Oh, yes, on the precipice of the Pac-12 tournament getting underway later this week. The podcast dropping a little bit earlier than normal. Don McClain and myself typically do the show Tuesdays. Best week of the year, Yam. Best week of the year. It is definitely the best week of the year, especially if you're a basketball fan. It really is basketball heaven in Vegas. But because the tournament's starting on Wednesday, uh, Earl Watson, by the way, one of our our good buddies at Pac-12 Network, will be our guest interview. That normally comes out on a Wednesday, but because the games actually start on Wednesday, you'll be able to catch that podcast on Tuesday. So, And you need to listen to that. Spoiler alert, we've already done yes. the podcast with Earl. You need to listen to that. And it's a, really good stuff. Totally agree. I mean, he was awesome. No surprise that that was going to be a case. A sneak peek at that episode coming up later in this one. Uh, Don, I, I, I look, I mean, final day of the season on Saturday, all the seeds up. Well, look, uh, Washington, we knew was a 12, but everything else was still up for grabs. We finally know officially who the top four seeds are going to be. Oregon is the one, UCLA the two, ASU the three, USC is the four. Congratulations to the Oregon Ducks with the regular well, season. Well, yeah, snacks. we can pat ourselves on the back. It yep. wasn't looking like we were right the whole time, but it turns out we were right because we were saying that we thought Oregon was the best team. Yep. and that they would win the regular season title, and it turns out they did. And I thought when when we knew that they had their last three games at home, um, they hadn't lost all year at home, that there was a good chance they were probably going to win it, and they went out and did it. I, I don't. I, God, there's like ten different places I want to start with you. Let's. We'll, we'll hold off on the top four seeds. I want to go through the top, or excuse me, the uh, five seeds five through twelve and day number one. Keep in mind, uh, Don, you will be uh, calling a bunch of these games for us on Pac-12 Network. You got the day session right on Wednesdays. So you got. I have the eight nine and the five twelve on Wednesday, and then the one versus eight nine and four versus five twelve on Perfect. Thursday. All right, so you got all the earlier stuff during the day. Oregon State and Utah starts off our coverage. The pregame show, Earl Watson, Matt Mulebach will be with me starting at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesday. Keep in mind our coverage of Pac-12 Network. Uh, we're going start of the day every single day with our pregame show, and as soon as all the action is done, we have everyone covered with the postgame show uh, when the final game every day is done. Uh, let's start Yeah, here. I got to yeah. tell you, we've never talked about this, yeah. but I, I promise you I'm going to try even harder this year to still have my eyeballs open for your – post-game show at 11 o'clock at night. Oh, I, well, look, I, I think the disappointing thing for me is... I'll be is, honest, sometimes, I, sometimes I, the under four timeout of the last game, I might not see the last three and a half minutes of that oh, game. Oh, man, I'm, 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 full I'm, disclosure. 
I'm with you. I think the the weird thing is like I get energized on the walk back from the arena to the hotel room that I can't usually sleep. So this year I am packing melatonin with me. And let's just say in the last commercial break of the final post game show every single night, I will be having my melatonin gummies just to preparation to to be able to get as much sleep as I can on the backside. Uh, let, let's let's dive into this here. Um, round number one, Oregon State, Utah, because I do want to get you on the team in the first round that scares you the most. I have mine, and it might not be right. the most obvious one, but from an Oregon State, Utah perspective here, I, I, I don't even know what to make of this particular matchup because the reality is 8-9, they weren't the worst teams in the conference, certainly weren't the best. I think they're, I, I guess they're a reason why they're 8-9 because it does feel like an even matchup that can go either way. Yeah, and I was just in Corvallis for the entire weekend, and they won both games. Won a good game against Stanford on Thursday and then took care of business against Cal with a lot going on. You know, Trace Tinkle breaking the record, the the all-time scoring record at Oregon State on Thursday and then senior day on Saturday. You know, the one thing with Oregon State is they've been pretty good all year. They just, in conference play, they couldn't make a three. They couldn't. They were shooting 28% as a team. Trace was shooting 24% individually before this weekend and they made threes they were eight for 20 against Stanford and I believe they made nine against Cal so to me they're now a dangerous team and a team that I wouldn't want to play because they have a lot of boxes checked defensively offensively they're spreading it around a little bit more and if they get guys making threes like Lucas like Reichel Thompson other guys other than Trace Tinkle they're they're going to be difficult to deal with um, on the other side, Utah, I thought they showed their youth on the road this year. Sure. Um, they didn't win as much on the road, but they showed me a lot winning that game on Saturday against Colorado without Ryland Jones. And let's just hope that Ryland Jones will be available for them um, in Vegas because they, they obviously are going to need him. I look at both these teams, and they've proven that they can beat anybody. Now, what's the difference? We're on a neutral court. It's not home and away. So – Oregon being the one seed, you know, who who would they want to play? I'm not sure. Oregon State got them in the Civil War in Corvallis. But if you get both these teams clicking on all c- cylinders and confident, which if they win, either team wins the 8-9 game, if it's Oregon State, even more confident now. Now they're three in a row heading into that game against Oregon. So an interesting first game to kick off the tournament with two teams that are dangerous if they're right. You know, Don, Booth Gotch for me, and you know, I, I and especially in non-conference play, because you and I were in studio a, a little bit, I was a big, big, big fan of him. I mean, you, I think at one point there was one move that he had made in a game, and, and I was talking about him, and you turned to me and you said, hey, this is why you see flashes like this. This is why people start thinking about him down the road as a next-level player, because there are those flashes. Mm-hmm. Banged up with injuries, slow for most of conference play. These last three games, though, he looks like the dude that I thought I'd get the entire season. I, I, if I'm Oregon State, that combination of Timmy Allen and Booth Gotch, like I, that all of a sudden becomes, they look like a different basketball team now than they did a month ago because of him. Yeah. Will, will he stay consistent? That's yeah. the big question. I, I'm, I'm the same as you. Like I did Oregon at Utah early in conference play. Gotch had 24. He was lights out. And then he just disappeared. And so you wonder if he's gotten it back now, because as you mentioned, it's three games in a row. Can he continue that in Vegas? I think he can. And you're right. They're difficult to deal with, both those wing players. Ball, ball is in Gotch's hands more than Allen's in terms of initiating offense and that. But they're both productive um, or both have been productive. 
So a not a good game, a great game to start this Pac-12 tournament. Don, typically I like to think of myself as a person who doesn't go all in on on one specific moment and be in the moment. Like, you know, if a team comes up with a big win or it's a great game, oh, this is the greatest game of the season. Like, I'm not right, right. typically that dude. But after Washington swept the Arizonas and Jaden McDaniels now is playing the way that he is, I, I, I looked at seeds 5 through 12 and I said, my Lord, if there's one team that's so dangerous and scares me the most of the entire group, it's UW right now. I wish they weren't playing Arizona because Arizona obviously is a talented team, but they just beat them at McHale, and now it's McHale North in Vegas because Arizona fans do a tremendous job traveling. How difficult is it to beat a team twice in one week? Really difficult, but I would take a, a step back. Yeah, I, I was saying that I wouldn't want to play Washington even before they swept the Arizona schools just because of their talent level and Mike Hopkins being such a good coach that eventually they would probably figure out how to shore up not having quad a green. And I think they have, you don't go, you know, to the Arizona's and win both unless you have some stuff figured out based on results from earlier in conference play. That being said, you're right. Like you beat them on Saturday. Can you flip it around and beat them on Wednesday again? That's a tough ask because you know that Arizona is going to be motivated. It's a revenge game. But Arizona just isn't right offensively, yeah. Huh? And something's wrong there. They they just they're not clicking. They don't shoot a high percentage. And against that Washington zone, if you're not right offensively, you you're gonna struggle. And it, it just hasn't gone well enough. And you're relying on two freshman guards and Mannion and Green to carry you. Um and, and and make you better offensively, that's a tough ask. But they're a talented group, Arizona. So maybe they're like Booth Gotch in that the light bulb comes on and all of a sudden maybe they play a good first half against Washington and then they're off to the races. We'll see. If Arizona's roster was wearing a different uniform, would we be as worried about this game? Like, I feel like what they... What do you mean? I, for me... I I look and I see the name. I know the brand. I know the success that this team, this program has had over the last however many years. And I almost go, I give them the benefit of the doubt because they're Arizona. Whereas if their jersey said, I don't know. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know, uh, Colorado on. I, I'm just picking another, you know, team in this league. I, I, well, I don't I, know if I'd be as scared. I, I think... And, and I do the same thing, Yam. Like, Arizona has been so good for so long that you think about those teams. Let's not forget that they weren't a tournament team last year. Um, so they're much improved this year. But it's not, a, it's not a classic, you know, make a deep run in the NCAA tournament Arizona team. I'm not saying they can't. But when you think about Arizona and all their success and the rosters that they've had, yeah, this, this Arizona team isn't as good as those teams but it's still a talented group, and you never you never know unless you're in that locker room why exactly things aren't going as well as maybe people expected them to. But we do know that they're relying on three freshmen, three starters that they need production from night in and night out. But you flip back to the talent conversation, and they have enough talent. They have enough talent to win this tournament, no doubt. But it just hasn't gone well enough offensively for them to, you know, maybe get away with not being as good defensively because they're relying on young players. But we're going to find out yeah. which way it's going to go. But no doubt, 
one of the harder 5-12 matchups we've seen in this conference tournament's history. I'd say, yeah, ever. I mean, this is yeah. just going to be a hell of a basketball game, and you're going to be on the call. It's on Pac-12 Network. Um, one other thing on, on Washington, Arizona, on this specific game, am I crazy here? There's a part of me that says, at their best, at their best, best player on the floor on either side is Jaden McDaniels. Don, I, I know it sounds like I'm going over the top and I'm gushing, but – his length, when he's engaged on the defensive side, he's he's got an impact. And then offensively, he is a he's a walking mismatch on the floor. Like I, Peyton Pritchard in this tournament is look, he's going to be Player of the Year, the whole deal. I, Jaden McDaniel's, my God, this is the guy that everyone was talking about. We're seeing that now in these last few games. Yeah, and you wonder why it hasn't been that way the whole year. But I do know this that that. With Washington's commitment to try and get it into their best player in Isaiah Stewart, teams got smart about defending him and surrounding him and double-teaming him, and no one really emerged, and it didn't help that Quade Green wasn't playing. But now that McDaniels is emerging here this weekend, now it gives coaches pause on what you're going to do with Stewart because now you have to account for McDaniels. And I have a feeling what we're going to see is if you take some pressure off of Stewart, because you're hedging towards McDaniels a little more, you may see Stewart go off in this tournament. It's one of those either-or type situations. So good news for Washington, um, and we'll see how Arizona deals with both of those guys. But fascinating this time of year to watch coaches scheme for the other team. Yeah, keep in mind, too, in on day number one, Oregon State and Utah split the season series. Arizona UW split the season series. Stanford Cal split the season series. Colorado and Washington State only played once. CU actually won that game. But the Cardinal, for me, in the 7-10 matchup, Don, you know, a couple days ago I would have said this is the team in the first round that I thought had the potential to make the deepest run. Look, they the inconsistency from three, I think you had said this, if, if things are working for them um, for three-point range, their defense is good enough with three-point shooting to, to carry this squad. Mm-hmm. I get worried about the lack of consistency, though, right now. Yeah, and that's why they didn't win the Oregon State game, frankly. I think they were 3 for 15 or something like that from the three-point line. And you ask Jared Hastad, he'll tell you. It's like, if we make shots, we're probably going to win. If we don't, we're not. And so, and, and one thing that we we should talk about is that we're now playing in, a, in an arena, you know, a 20,000-seat arena. This isn't like Gill Coliseum or Alaska Airlines or, you know, this is a real arena. And from my experience, much harder to shoot in bigger boxes than it is smaller ones, but everyone's different. So you just wonder of all these teams, and, and I've heard this a lot lately going around the conference doing all these games of, of coaches simplifying it, saying if we make shots, we're pretty good. If we make shots, we'll win. Okay, well, which team is going to get comfortable in T-Mobile from behind the three-point line? Um, but Stanford relies on it. They have to. They're not big. They're really good defensively and have been. That's why they've stayed in almost every game they've played in. But getting them over the hump has been, do we make threes? And their free throw shooting hasn't been great. They're a tick under 70%, so you wonder if that's a factor. But if they put it together, they're really good. Like, where was I last two weeks ago? And they played really well in one. And so you saw it. You're like, okay, yeah, that's the Stanford we saw earlier in the year. Yeah. And who knows? Everybody flips the page, Yam, when you get done with the regular season. Everybody knows this is a tournament. It's one and done, but we got a new lease. We're not in a conference race anymore. Let's just win one and move on. 
and maybe Stanford can do it. Stanford, for you, needs to win one or two games to feel good about NCAA? For sure one. I think if they lose to Cal, whose net is 140, I think, somewhere around there, like that's not going to be good. They're going to be very nervous on Selection Sunday. I think if they win – I think if they win one, they're feeling pretty good. If they win two, it's no doubt. I mean, would you agree with that? I think that's... Agreed. And look, the computers have loved Stanford uh, just in terms of their net, but you can't lose to Cal. I I think the interesting test case right now is how many surprises do we get in the other conference tournaments? Utah State winning the other day. That doesn't help the league get seven teams in, which has been kind of the conversation recently. Um, But if I'm... Or, you know, the the, the usual suspects got to be feeling pretty good about themselves. UCLA is going to be the interesting team. We'll get to them in just a second here. Um, most worried about heading into the tournament for me is, is Colorado and Washington State. And I'd make this argument for pretty much everyone, like Washington Cal and Washington State and their individual matchups being the, the higher-seeded number team, so like the worst team in the, in the duo. Mm-hmm. They're all playing with house money. And Colorado, yeah. Don, like that was a team that people, they were the darlings of the preseason. Everyone said, oh, this is a team that's going to come out of the Pac-12 and they could make a run in the NCAA tournament. They're reeling right now. And I know there's some questionable calls depending on who you talk to uh, regarding that Utah game down the stretch. But the reality is like they weren't playing good basketball and into that game anyway. No, and you just wonder what, what's happened there or what's happening. I mean, they're going to be an NCAA tournament team because of the work they did in the non-con. But for them to go 10-8... and eight, is a bit head-scratching in the conference, um, especially with, you know, McKinley Wright, who's one of the best point guards in the league, you know, maybe the best floor general in terms of managing the offense, getting people involved, that kind of thing. Um, but they just – they definitely underperformed what we thought that they would do. That being said, when they're right, they're pretty good. And they're a team that you're looking at Washington State – the thing that concerns you about Washington State is Bonton or Ellaby can go for 30-plus at any at any minute, and you know that, that Ellaby likes this stage, and you know that he's going to be trying to get 30-plus in this game. And if he does, does that mean Washington State could beat Colorado? It's kind of been proven if you look at box scores that if Bonton and Ellaby go, they won. And so Colorado's got to be careful and, and have a really good game plan for both those players so that they don't go off and upset Colorado, but it's certainly for Colorado is a let's take care of business and move on um, and take on Arizona State in the next round if they do win. Yeah, I, I got to find the numbers. I don't have my notes in front of me from that particular game. Those dudes go 7 of 44, Ellaby and Bonton combined yeah. against ASU. Like, you can't look, they were in it, which kind of also speaks volumes to the job that Kyle Smith has done, that their team on the road could have their yeah. two most potent players shooting, what, what is that, 15, 18, 20%, whatever the number is. I'm not great at math, which is why I talk for a living. But the the, the point is those dudes can't have a game like that and expect to win. I mean, that that, no. that would be wild. Um, because in, 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 in um, as far as I know, both are playing in the Pac-12 tournament. But yes. if one of them's out, then it's really difficult for them to win because the other team just loads up on one of them. But we'll see what Tad Boyle and his staff come up with. The last thing you want, though, again, is either one or both of those guys going bananas. And because if they do, they got a chance to win. Uh, do you want to make picks in the first round? Or are you not ready, want to, to, ready to do that just yet? No, I think I think let's go with the surprise okay. that you talked about. Okay. 
Surprise team day one. Who do you got? I still think um, I'm torn. Okay. Because I've I've seen them both recently, and I've seen them both recently win. Oh boy! I'm, to- I'm, I'm torn between Stanford and Oregon State. I think Oregon State really got themselves some momentum. Wow! Um, in 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 over the weekend, but I'm going to go with Stanford because I like that matchup better. I wouldn't be surprised if Utah beat Oregon State. I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon State beat Utah. I think Stanford's going to be motivated, knowing that their NCAA tournament lives are on the line. So I think they win that game against Cal and move on um, to play UCLA, who they beat a few weeks ago in Poly. So they feel like they have some confidence there. I think Stanford's a team that we could be talking about by Thursday. Okay, I'm uh, that would. I'm who are you with going you. with? I think uh, to me, and I'm just going to go really out on a limb. I, I, Washington, I'll stick with those guys just because they scare me. Still concerned about Arizona offensively. Being a team twice in one week, I think, is really hard. I wish Washington was playing someone else other than Arizona. But look, I look at day two, and if CU and ASU plays, going to be a hell of a game. Stanford UCLA is going to be a heck of a ball game. Either Arizona or UW against USC is going to be a ton of fun. And Oregon looking at either Oregon State or Utah, I, I think could be somewhat intriguing, although I'd pick the Ducks. Well, to, to your point, Yam, how about this? Washington, let's say they do beat Arizona. Who do they have in the next round? USC. They yeah. beat them by 30 yeah. in Seattle yeah. early in the season. So they're looking at that. But the flip side of that is you know, USC sitting there saying, okay, if we, if we play Washington, we owe we, them oh, one yeah. for what they did to us in Seattle. So no doubt. fascinating stuff if it does happen. And look, both teams are really different too, which is, you know, I think yeah. they're playing very different. I mean, SC's got to have so much confidence with the, with the win, with Jonah Matthews hitting the big buzzer beater three. He was an awesome guest last week, by the way, on the podcast. So if you're an SC fan, believe me, we didn't See talk what about happened, that Jam, I'm Luck glad you the brought pod. it up. You come up. You agree to come on the podcast, good things happen. Well, think it about that. every week. And the week before, it was Mick Cronin, and they, they exactly. come up with a sweep, and they were knocking on the door for a regular season conference championship. I'm so telling you. I'm with you. I'm with you. The good luck charm. There's going to be that people banging down our door next year to do this podcast. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. <laughs> um, or is, is Oregon clearly, I'll use the air quotes, best team in the field? I I think they are, and I think getting Dante back is we're going to see that pay dividends as this moves along uh, with their depth and just his size and length at the rim, dealing with certain matchups they may run into, especially once they get to the, the NCAA tournament. Um, but if if you're ever going to say the one seed could go down this year or could go down in a year, this is the year just based on what happened in the regular season. I mean, it's not often we see it's happened, but we don't see it often where we see a conference champion at 13 and five. Yeah. I mean, that's a little behind schedule per usual. Usually it's 14 and four, 15 and three, something like that. So it speaks to um, anybody can beat anybody in this conference. And we saw it. Um, but we, we also know, cause we saw it last year, Oregon understands this time of year. They came into this tournament last year, needing to win 40 in the NCAA tournament. They did it. And you just wonder if they're kicking it in to another gear right now saying we want to win the PAC 12 tournament so that we carry all this momentum into the NCAA tournament and, t- and try and make a deep run there. So a lot, a lot of good things going for Oregon and oh, by the way, the player of the year in the conference, potentially national player of the year. Dante, 
five minutes uh, in his return the other night, 11 minutes then against Cal, and then against Stanford played in here 16 minutes so yeah i think that's going to keep going up like i think he'll he'll be over 20 probably in this tournament no no it's it's uh and he is kind of the difference maker for this team being a really good team or a team that's gonna win a conference championship in the tournament and then make a run in the ncaa tournament sc i know they're the four seed don i I look at them though as I don't want to say the most balanced team, but there's a part of me that thinks of the top four seeds. They play great defense that no one talks about. The guard play has gotten better as the season's gone on, and they already have the best front court in the conference. Like SC to me has got all the tools in the toolbox to win this tournament. No doubt. If, if, if we're standing there on Saturday night and SC wins it, would I be surprised? Not at all. And you got a couple seniors that are motivated. Speaking of talking to Jonah last week, he talked about him understanding and realizing that it's his senior year. This is his last go-round. This is his last chance. They've probably done enough that they're solidly in the NCAA tournament. But why not go out with a Pac-12 tournament championship and get that momentum that we always talk about heading into the NCAA tournament? So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I have... I have no problem with anyone picking USC to win this Pac-12 tournament. You lose on a buzzer beater three if you're UCLA and it snaps a seven-game winning streak and you were playing for at least a share of the regular season uh, title. Does that change at all your perception of this team? No, and I only say no because of how they're built and what got them that seven-game win streak. And to quote myself... And one that I've used for years. To quote the great Don McLean. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Defense travels. And so normally if you're a team built on skill or you just got hot from like behind the three-point line, that's why you were on that winning streak. I could see it maybe affecting you. But the way Mick Cronin has, has coached these guys this year and finally gotten them to buy in on the defensive end, just bring what you've been bringing. Look. Tip your cap to Matthews. He made an unbelievable shot, but you, you had the game won if he misses it. And so uh, you can't lose any confidence from that. You can't lose any belief from that because belief is what's gotten you that win streak before that. So I, I'm, I'm, I think UCLA will be fine, and it'll just be whether or not teams will have figured out how to beat that UCLA defense um, and if the UCLA defense is, is, is as right as it has been for the last month or so. Can I throw something your way? If Stanford wins and beats Cal, and I don't know if that's going to happen. I love Matt Bradley. I, I think he should be most improved player of the year, but let's just say. I already gave it to him. Yeah, it's done. Oh, what it's are you done. Talking okay. about? Um, Stanford, if Stanford and UCLA play, can you imagine a game? It might be first to 52 in that yeah. game and, and shooting field goal percentages in the low 30s. I mean, that could be well, a really ugly game. What's interesting is when Stanford beat UCLA, I, be, I believe I'd have to look it up. I think when Stanford beat UCLA and Pauly, that was the right before UCLA went on their run. I think that was the last game they lost at home because they beat Cal at home, right? And I think that started the win streak, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, you know, Stanford was obviously playing, but because that was the game for Stanford, speaking of momentum, where they win that game. They're up 20 at halftime to USC. They falter in the second half and blow the game at the end, and that started Stanford's downward spiral, losing seven of eight. So it's so interesting what happens from what the outcome of one game can do or seemingly do. 
Um, but it'll be a good game, no doubt, because UCLA is way better than they were when Stanford beat them in Poly. And I think Stanford, even though you know they didn't have a great weekend in Oregon, has gotten back on track to a certain degree. ASU's offense right now, I think, is the one thing that carries them. Like if I'm looking, I'm looking at my bracket right now. Oregon, best player, pretty balanced on both offense and defense. I'd say SC really like them in terms of efficiency, offense and defense. Worried about UCLA's offense, and we saw that kind of over the weekend as well, especially in that first half the other day. But mm-hmm. ASU, I, I don't, I don't even know what to make of this team. I mean, offensively, it's it it sometimes feels like. Verge and Remy make it happen, and then on the defensive side, I, I get concerned. I think there's some erratic uh, play at times, which is part of the reason. Now, I think the draw is nice for him, right? Because Colorado, I think they can. That's a good matchup for him. I think if it's either Stanford or UCLA, um, a little bit later in, in round number three, like that to me is also a good matchup for him. Um, you know, although if it's UCLA or Stanford, I mean, heck, maybe they just lock them down, and defensively, shots aren't going down, and, and they lose. Like I here's. Oh. Here's the deal with Arizona State. Like you know, you're what you're going to get with Remy. He's one of the elite players in our conference. Verge has come on and become more consistent. Yeah. It's really about same as Stanford for them. They have to make threes. They're not a very good three point shooting team, or haven't been. But if Edwards gets going and he can make threes, along with Verge and, and Remy, I guess my point is, if you get all three of those guys going at the same time, they are awfully hard to deal with. But it's just been kind of hit and miss with them from behind the three-point line. It's a three-man group. Defensively, I feel like they've been pretty good. They're not big. Um, they're not a great rebounding team because they're not big. But I just think what teams have figured out with Arizona State is you can't let them just catch, rip, and go, meaning drive it, and, and get into the teeth of your defense. So teams have packed it in a little bit and said, you're not beating us with penetration, so you're going to have to make some perimeter shots. But in the games where Arizona State has won and played well, they have made threes. And so, again, I go back to the building that we're playing in. Are they going to be able to make enough threes playing in that big of an arena? We're going to find out. But to me, it's pretty simple with ASU. They have to make perimeter shots to win. So we'll see. Don, if look, if they go 14 triples like they did in the win at home against UCLA – just, right. Just take the Sharpie out, put them in the semis. I mean, that's they're right. Be, beating Stanford or UCLA, it doesn't even matter. They're beating Colorado. If all three of those guys have it going, that's that's semifinals. That's Pac-12 championship. No doubt. And you hate to simplify to that to that just one area, but I really think it is because you look at the games where they've really played well. They have way more threes made than the games where they didn't play as well. Um, and I go back to that senior thing. Edwards is a senior, and maybe he's viewing this the same way Matthews is. It's my last go-round. I'm going to go off from behind the line. And if he does, that's a great sign for ASU and a great sign that they could win this Pac-12 tournament. All right, once again, just a reminder, all the games Wednesday start coverage, 11.30 a.m. on Pac-12 Network. Earl Watson will be on the show uh, tomorrow with us on the podcast, a sneak preview of that interview coming up here. But, Don, uh, it's my favorite time of the show. Story time with Don McClain. All right, yeah, so I spoiled it earlier, telling everyone that we're having Earl Watson on tomorrow and that we already did uh, the podcast with him. 
And we, we spent, we spend a lot of time with Earl talking about UCLA and the men's gym and the impact of that and, and what happens there. And you can tune in tomorrow to, to hear all that, but it triggered my memory of a story. And he brings up magic Johnson a few times as well. And so with magic at the men's gym, he didn't come all the time. Like there was guys that came every, like Michael Cooper was there, Byron Scott. Those guys were there like most days. Magic didn't come every day, probably because he was magic Johnson. But when he did come, he similar to Michael Jordan, Magic would just take whoever. Like he wasn't trying to get like a loaded team because he knew he was winning regardless. And it was understood by then, by the time I started coming to the men's gym, that Magic was on the middle court. You know, there's three, there's three courts in the men's gym. The main court was the middle court, obviously. And Magic started on the middle court and ended on the middle court. Like Magic Johnson never lost a game in the men's gym. And you're saying, well, wow. He was that good that he never lost one. Well, this is the story. So this was probably, I think I was a junior, going into my junior or senior year at UCLA. And it's the last game of the day. So games games went to nine by ones, I believe. I should have asked Earl, I forget. I think, yeah, I think it was nines. I, or maybe it changed. It might have been seven or nine or 11, whatever. So let's just say we're going to nine. and Or no, it was seven by ones. That's what it was. And so we're playing the game and it didn't cross, it didn't, it didn't, um, it didn't cross my mind at the time, but we get to six to six, you know, they have six, we have six. And so I'm playing and I'm guarding magic Johnson. Okay. For game winner. I'm thinking, man, I, I need to get a stop. You know, he never loses on this court. And so I'm guarding him and, and he was shooting the shot, that whole thing where, you know, the best player on the court shoots the last shot kind of thing. Yam, I am not exaggerating. He called 13 straight fouls on game point. And probably six of them were actually fouls. Until finally (laughs) on the 13th that he called, he threw up some wild hook shot from like 15 feet, and it went in. Game. And so I said to him, I'm like, Magic, so like, were you going to call a foul the whole time? And he just walked off. Game over. His team won. (laughs) And so a couple of years ago, when he was in the Lakers front office, this is funny. I, uh, we, were do, we had our pro day for CAA for pre-draft. And he was there, and Chris Paul was there, all the CAA guys. So I'm standing with Chris Paul, with Magic, and a couple other guys. And somehow it came up about the men's gym. And I said, and I said to Chris, I'm like, CP, can you believe this guy one time called 13 straight fouls? And, and – on game point, and Chris goes, yeah. And I'm like, magic. He's like, and? <laughs> <laughs> Your point? <laughs> yeah. And so we laughed about it, but just just a, a funny story from back then that magic and how competitive he was. He never lost a game in the men's gym. Uh, game blouses. Um, I'm breaking out something that Earl had said over the, uh, over the weekend. You, do you watch Chappelle's show back in yes. the day? So the, the, the Prince moments uh, when they're playing basketball, game blouses. But anyway, besides yeah. the point. So I'm just thinking about some of those fouls and magic. Man, yeah. I can't even imagine just how he did. And not for nothing, Don, and I know you weren't shy about talking. Could you imagine, though, if there was another NBA player that was checking magic and he kept calling fouls? It would have been the same thing. He's magic freaking yeah. Johnson. It doesn't matter. Like nobody, nobody trumped at that time magic Johnson. I mean, I guess if Michael Jordan had walked in there, maybe. But, like, Magic Johnson was Magic Johnson. 
and you can complain all you want, but it's a foul. Just wild, <laughs> wild. Absolutely love that stuff. And and you you've talked about uh, your experience with a lot of those NBA guys uh, the last couple of years. Uh, there's definitely some players, and, and at least on this podcast, Don, you've been tracking guys that are hoping to play at the next level. Um, different guys that, that you've analyzed, even some over the years that you've worked out to get ready for the draft. You're focusing in on one big right now. From the Pac-12 to the NBA. So let's talk about Kyler Kelly. I like to do guys that I've recently seen, and I was in Corvallis for the weekend doing both games, and, and he's obviously a senior, so will be part of the pre-draft process. Um, let's start with the measurables. You know, the wide, wide shoulders for a seven-foot guy, which you like, long arms, which you like. He's a good athlete. He's a good runner, and he's really bouncy. So from, a, from an athletic standpoint and from a measurable standpoint, you really like him at the next level. The problem is, he, I shouldn't say the problem, what he doesn't have is a lot of basketball playing experience. He's, it's not like he started playing at seven years old and here we are as a college senior. He picked the game up late, so he, he misses out on a lot of, not a lot, of some of skill that you would, you would hope that he would have in terms of on the offensive side. That being said, he's come along. Like he can he can shoot it much better now from the mid-range. He can put it on the deck a little bit. He had a move the other day against Cal that was really good where he crossed the guy over and then spun back. It was it was good stuff. You can tell he's been coached on that. Um and so, but really in terms of instincts is where he's behind a little bit. And and you say to yourself, well, he leads the league in block shots. What do you want? I didn't realize this until this weekend, Yam. Yeah, He's not in the top 20 in the league in rebounding. And how is that as a seven-foot, bouncy, long-arm guy? It's because of those instincts or lack of instincts that put him out of position a lot. Like, you appreciate that he wants to block a lot of shots, but good shot blockers don't jump at everything. They, they understand and they feel and they sense when they can go get a shot and go get it. Kelly just kind of jumps at everything and misses a lot of blocked shots. So now there's a ton of weak side rebounding. Trace Tinkle gets seven and a half rebounds a game because Kelly, a lot of the time, is out of position. And so if you're looking at him as a draftable prospect, is he an elite shot blocker? No, because the numbers would say he is. But if you watch tape on him, he's out of position way too much. Can that be coached? Uh, yeah, I think it can be coached to a certain degree, but really what I think it comes down to is more games played for him and more reps to understand that and get more of a feel for the defensive side in terms of rim protection. Because when people say rim protection, it's not just block shots. That's part of it. It's banging shots at the rim. But more importantly, being in position to rebound. And that's just something that he hasn't gotten a hold of um, in his couple years at Oregon State. But that doesn't mean somebody's not going to look at him and see and see what I'm talking about and see the physical talent he has and give him a chance. It's going to be similar to Drew Eubanks that they had, where he went way too early, shouldn't have declared, and he became a G League guy, and now he's getting some time with the Spurs. He's been up and down a little bit, and I think that's going to be the path for Kyler Kelly, where somebody will give him a two-way contract or put him on their G League team, and then it's going to be up to him to put in the work to make him make himself an NBA player. Eubanks better offensive player though, right? I think so. Yeah. At this stage, 
I would say they're similar, Yam, in terms of – and I'm talking about offense, meaning can you get me a bucket on the block? Can you step out? Uh, can you pick and pop and screen roll? Yeah. But all these guys have to get out to the NBA three-point line eventually. Like, they don't want you picking and popping, shooting 12-footers. Like, that's not a part of NBA offense. But I would say similar at this stage, Mike, with Eubanks and, and Kelly in terms of offense. Well, look, he's going to have to have a big impact because you like Oregon State in round number one. You feel like they're a confident basketball team when they take on Utah. And if they win, they'll get the one seed in Oregon in their rival, which could make for a pretty good game as well, Uh, especially because now we'll get to see a little bit of Dante and and hopefully he's out there uh, creeping closer to full strength against Kyler Kelly. So. Uh, just something to keep in mind. By the way, Oregon State, Utah starts the coverage Wednesday, 11.30 a.m. We got the pregame show for everyone. That pregame show, Matt Mulebach and Earl Watson will be uh, on set with me for the entire day. In fact, the entire three days of the tournament. Tomorrow on the podcast, Earl Watson is going to be our guest on. You've made reference to it. He was absolutely tremendous. Here's a sneak peek at that conversation. When I first got to UCLA, the first person I met in the office was Coach Wooden. Then Doug, who is Doug is, you know, there's a lot of coaches that come through UCLA, but Doug Eric Erickson is our stable. He's been there for at least 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Doug took me from the office of meeting Coach Wooden to Pauley Pavilion, and that's where I met Magic Johnson, who was, you know, about to play pickup with Michael Cooper and Norm Nixon, Kiki Vanderway, and Magic was like, hey, nice to meet you, welcome. If you want to get better, be here tomorrow morning at 8, and I got there the next day at 7 o'clock. So, like, just being mentored by Magic and Pooh and Derek Martin and Mitchell Butler, Chauncey Billups, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, the list goes on and on. You can't get there anywhere else. You can't get there anywhere else. Don, day one on campus for you in Westwood. Do you remember what that was like as we heard Earl's uh, day one, which is pretty spectacular? Well, I told the story early in the uh, in the uh, in the year of my first freshman summer program. Um, I had obviously been to UCLA because I lived close yeah. to it, but first day of freshman summer program, men's gym, first opponent James Worthy, which was pretty cool stuff. So I guess the point is, if you go to UCLA as a recruited basketball player, your first day you're probably going to meet somebody famous. <laughs> that's the moral of the story not not bad some pretty good names that have walked through that gym uh don awesome job by you as always get a little bit of a rest before the travel to vegas uh you and i will be getting after it all week long on pac-12 network and uh yeah we'll have some fun this week yeah i'm looking forward to it we look forward to it every year and, and i know every year we say oh anything could happen but like this year you can really say it, that anything's going to happen. I am totally, Anything could happen. Totally with you on that. Can't thank everyone enough for listening to the podcast. If you see it on social media, give it a share, rate, subscribe, review the pod. Uh, greatly appreciate that. Ari always holding it down for us. Don, I will see you this week in Vegas.